rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, mercifully incline your ear to us as we make our prayers and supplications to you. O God, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, went about doing good, healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. Continue in our hospitals his gracious work among us, especially in Birmingham. Console and heal the sick. Grant to the physicians, nurses, and assisting staff wisdom and skill diligence and patience. Prosper their work, O Lord, and send down your blessing upon all who serve the suffering. Today we also pray for the city of Birmingham, for all local churches, and for our partners in ministry. Open doors for us to find common cause so that we might declare the good news of your Son to our city and region. Guide us by your Spirit. Where we are divided, reunite us and keep us from any contempt of your word and commandments. We pray especially this day in our city for the communities and groups of people who are disproportionately affected by coronavirus, and we ask that you would be pleased to root out the injustices from our culture and from our city. Lord, this can only be a work that you can do. We feel very powerless in these situations to figure out how to solve these big, long-standing problems. And yet we ask for your mercy on all of us. Forgive us and help us. Help us to serve our city together for the sake of mercy and justice. We also give you thanks for Murray Lee and for our partnership in gospel ministry. Be pleased to bless the ministry of Cahaba Park Presbyterian Church, that it would continue in the service of your word for the witness and salvation of the world, and grant that the words which we will hear this day in the sermon would be grafted by your grace inwardly in our ears to bring forth in us the fruit of good living to the honor and praise of your name. Finally, we pray for those in our community who are suffering and afflicted in any way, body, mind, or spirit. Preserve us by your mighty power, granting that we fall into no sin and run into no kind of danger. And we rejoice with those who rejoice over any blessings that you bestowed upon us, recognizing you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. Hear all these petitions which we pray in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Well, we want to welcome you this Maundy Thursday to our Lenten preaching noonday service, and we're grateful to have Murray Lee here. He's local in Birmingham and senior pastor of Cahaba Park Presbyterian Church, and I'm about to tell a story that he didn't know I was going to tell, because he and I don't really know each other, but on one Sunday, one rare Sunday that I had off from the Advent, my wife and I, because we've got some friends that go to his church, went there 
Um, and I was feeling pretty burdened in ministry, feeling pretty down about my role as a dad and other things like that. And I was blessed by being at Cahaba Park Presbyterian. That Sunday, Murray preached a memorable sermon out of James 3 on the tongue. And then as we went to receive communion, something that I will never forget, that I'd never thought about, but became a powerful insight of the gospel, was that when we receive communion, uh, the Lord Jesus seeks to touch our tongue in a really powerful way. And those were the words that I needed to hear. I needed to hear about God's grace on my tongue and my mouth. And God uh, used Murray to be a, a vehicle, a blessing of the gospel for me. So I have no doubt today that as he comes to the pulpit, he's going to preach the gospel to you and hopefully in these times offer a word of comfort that really only God can offer by the power of his Holy Spirit. So would you join me in welcoming Murray Lee to the pulpit? The mood was somber. We can almost hear Jesus' words as Mark paints them so masterfully for us, saying, it's almost time. Jesus' time on earth is about to come to a close while he'll take his final breaths. What will he do. What Mark 14, 12 through 16, and 22 through 25 tell us is that Jesus, in his final days, would shock the disciples and forever change the trajectory of our lives. Mark chapter 14, I invite you to look with me from verses 12 through 16 and 22 through 25. This is God's word. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And they sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my, the blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, it is both with joy and sorrow that we come to you now. Joy that we get to 
by your grace and the power of your spirit, open your word together and sorrow in that we are not, in fact, together. But we pray that the same spirit that inspired these words and joins your church across continents would join our hearts together this day and teach us what we need to know. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. My wife's grandmother's cooking was legendary. Uh, it, it wasn't so much that she had an expertly trained palate. It was the quantities of food that she made. It was country food. It was simple food, and there was always plenty to eat. I can remember the first time I tasted her grandmother's cooking before we were married as I traveled down to her grandmother's home with my soon-to-be wife to meet her. But on the way down, I developed a terrible stomach bug. And you can imagine the horrors of a stomach bug and the prospects of a lot of country food awaiting you on the other end of that trip. But nevertheless, as the plate was piled high by Granny, I ate every bite. Nauseous breath after nauseous breath, inhaling it all, even Going back for seconds, I so wanted to be included. You see, it was for Granny that unless I ate of her food, I wasn't part of the family. And there at the end, when I thought it was all safely in the rearview mirror, Granny said those words, which weren't so much formed as a question, but more of a statement. You want some dessert? Oh no, Granny, I just... I'm full, and I took my hand, and just like this, I kind of covered my dessert plate, and she said, well, here. And she took the largest, stickiest piece of pecan pie and put it squarely on top of my hand, on top of the plate. And I struggled through it every bite. I'm sure the food would have been good had I not been so sick. You see, for Granny, unless I participated in the meal, unless I ate, I wasn't part of the family. Jesus tells his disciples in Mark chapter 14, unless you eat, you are not part of my family. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, in other words, unless you participate with me, in me, you are not part of my family. You must participate in Christ. What does that mean? Just right off the bat, in Mark chapter 14, we encounter a problem, and the problem is stated simply, how can a woolly, four-legged lamb possibly provide exclusion from divine judgment? Listen to verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? The Passover meal was an 
annual celebration by the Jews of God's deliverance from them, uh, for them from Egypt. I don't know if you remember much of the story, but God's people were captive in Egypt for 400 years. And at the end of the 400 years, when it was in God's timing providential to release them, he sent plague after plague. And the final plague designed to loosen Pharaoh's grip upon God's people and demonstrate God's power was the worst. The angel of death would come at night and kill in every household the firstborn male. Now, we typically think about God's divine judgment falling only on the Egyptians, but that's not the case. That's, what, that's not what the Bible teaches us. It, it actually tells us that in that night, in every household, the angel of death would visit, and if the people hadn't done something that God had provided for them, someone would die. But you see, God provided through instructing Moses to tell the people of Israel to take a perfect, spotless lamb and kill it and take its blood and paint the doorpost of your house. And when the angel of death would pass through the city and see the blood, it would pass over. The lamb would take the divine punishment for that family. You see, in every household in Egypt that night, someone would die, either a son or a lamb. And yet the problem still remains. How is it that a woolly, four-legged lamb can possibly exempt God's people from divine judgment? That's the problem. But What's the solution? The solution begins to unfold to us in verse 13. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. The actual celebration of the Passover meal is a fascinating event. It's, it's really not like you and I might think of a holiday meal where family is crowded around and the table is loud and busy with turkey and casseroles and jokes and laughter and grandparents sleeping in the corner. Uh, no, the Passover was a structured meal where the presider holding a glass of wine would stand at four points throughout the meal and remind the people at the Passover of the four promises of God given to his people in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Those promises, uh, rescue from Egypt, freedom from slavery, rescue by divine intervention, and redemption, a renewed re relationship with him. You see, that third promise, the, the rescue by divine intervention or rescue by divine power, happened towards the very end of the meal where the presider would stand with a cup of wine and say, with the bread and the lamb there as symbols of the way that God had provided for the people uh, as they left Egypt, 
uh, he would stand and say, this is the bread of our affliction that our fathers, forefathers, ate in the wilderness. And this is what Jesus says when he stood at that moment. Verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I, will, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see, all of the Disciples surrounding the table likely would have presided over their own family Passover meals and would have done so for many, many years. And so when Jesus parts from the script, when he says, instead of this is the bread of our affliction of our, that our forefathers ate in the wilderness, when instead he says, this is the bread of my affliction or this is my body, which is broken for you. What he's saying is that I have come to deliver you, not out of slavery from Egypt, but a slavery to sin. And I will bear on my body the full consequence as a substitution for you. And in the same way, the people of Israel were saved by God looking onto the blood of the lamb and passing over that house so I will save you by my body and my blood. You see, Jesus is putting legs to what John the Baptist said in earlier chapters. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I love what one commentator says about this passage. When Jesus stood and blessed the wine. Every table in the Passover had wine. When Jesus stood and blessed the bread, every Passover table had bread, but no gospel account actually talks about the lamb on the table. And I think the reason that the gospels don't draw attention to the lamb on the table is because they are wanting us to see that the lamb of God was at the table. Uh, some years ago, 61-year-old George Tyson of the UK was walking his 32-year-old disabled son named Gary along a coastal windy road. About 4 p.m. when they rounded a corner about the same time as an out-of-control car came around the corner. If he didn't do anything they both would be killed. But in that instance, the father, with all of his might, shoved his son out of the way and in so doing, took the full weight of the car and died instantly. What Jesus is saying here and what the Gospels unfold for us in greater detail that we will celebrate in just a few days' time with Good Friday and Easter Sunday is that I took the full weight of God.
God's divine judgment in my body for you. And unless you participate in me, in knowing me, you will die. But if you participate, if you have faith in me, if you confess your sins and believe on me, I will take the penalty for your sin. And Jesus says in Mark 14 that not only does he provide a solution, but a new family is created. That's, that's, that's what we celebrate in the eating of the bread, Christ's body broken for us, and the drinking of the cup, Christ's blood spilled for us, and the mealness, if I can say that, the mealness of the Lord's Supper is that celebration of the family that the Jewish Passover was a celebration of that we now celebrate together, that Christ's body and blood has created a new family. And though we uh, aren't able to participate uh, together in the Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper uh, this day, we're on many days now because of uh, the current uh, situation, what we need to understand is that new family that Christ made crosses every skin color boundary, every socioeconomic boundary, every county line, every state line, every country line. It creates one great family of God. And so I say to you, dear friends, as you would stare down at a plate of exquisitely prepared food, you must choose. Shall I eat and be full or only look and remain hungry? As you look upon your Savior, the Lamb of God, prepared before you, will you only look or will you come to him and partake of him and be saved? Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, feed us by your word. Your word is truth and you are our great King. Submit every heart to you. For the sake of Jesus' name we pray.